Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome back, everybody, to another edition of Irish Illustrated Insider. It's June 6th, Tuesday. Tim Priester with Tim O'Malley. Two-man booth here today. Notre Dame just completed Irish Invasion this past weekend. We'll get heavily into that. Props once again to Tom Loy from 24-7 Sports for his incredible work at Notre Dame and providing that information for our Irish Illustrated subscribers. But coming out of that, and there will be more, we're certain, but we shall see. But coming out of the weekend, Notre Dame has a commitment from running back Kedron Young. Really like this running back. Frankly, you know, there was talk about him and some other backs. This was the guy I thought that was best suited for Notre Dame's needs. Uh, we'll get into some other guys, obviously, from this weekend. But let's start with Kedron Young, who kind of surprised us all last night by saying, hey, I'm committed to Notre Dame. We weren't expecting that. Normally, we we have a pretty good clue as to when it's going to happen. But Kedron Young will be a running back in Notre Dame, Tim O'Malley. Yeah, and it's uh, it's well-timed, too, because we've, we've talked about running back depth charts and how fluid they are. Obviously, people have listened to this know how much I like the other running back coming in as well. Hanius Williams is a fantastic prospect in my eyes. Um, with Diggs leaving and Estime should be leaving. We we have to say those things because Audric Estime should have a very good year. He's a junior and he should go pro when it's over. And the coaching staff, it's the only position I think that exists where they should say you should go pro to uh, to care for the young man's future. So you could have a total reboot coming up in Notre Dame's offensive backfield. And this is a great start. I think there's a they complement each other well, the two freshmen coming in. And I like the other pieces in Ford and Payne, but not as much as those two. And then, of course, the X factor is Jadarian Price. If Jadarian Price in one year from today is as good as he could have been, they have a nice trio of running backs plus some complementary pieces. Yeah, I, I, would put, I would put Devin Ford in the same group. As Kedron Young and Aeneas Williams, I don't think I'd put Jabron Payne there at, at this point of his career. But, you know, Notre Dame now has, Kedron Young is now Notre Dame's 18th verbal commitment in the class of 2024. He is the fifth highest rated player among those 18. Notre Dame recently received a verbal commitment from Logan Thomas. He is the fourth highest rated player in the class. And Aeneas Williams is, Williams is six. So, you know, I know when when three stars commit to Notre Dame, it becomes a big deal. When four stars commit, it it's just kind of brushed under the carpet, and um, you know, it's like it's like little kids opening presents at Christmas. They just want to get to the next one when it's a when it's a good one. And and Kedron Young is a, is a good running back. Love his physicality. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, I just think that he's got a lot of bounce. He. he you know, they list him at 220. He's not 220 yet. He I don't think so either. He's he's not, but he plays like a 220 pounder. But I I, I he's probably more in the 210 range, but whatever. I, I think he's the kind of back that Notre Dame you like to have that power back. We know how great it is 
to have Audric estimate going into the yeah. 2023 season because he is that guy with with burst, even probably even more burst now that he's he's uh, gotten rid of a little bit of body fat that he carried last year. But um, so that's a great catch for Notre Dame, as was Logan Thomas. There are some crystal balls out there. Uh, when when Tom Loy mentioned Bronte Johnson, as, I know. Last, as, I was know, pretty that, excited. <laughs> yeah, that really came out of nowhere, and so that sounds very promising. Notre Dame had <laughs> there were two outstanding offensive tackles uh, here this weekend. Not only Styles Prescott, who I wrote a film review on months and months ago, who I love, but Gerby Lambert was here in town as well. Sounds like things went well with him. Cam Williams, the wide receiver. The five-star wide receiver didn't work, uh, didn't didn't work out on Sunday, which was disappointing. I know for Tom and some of the people that were in attendance, but what we saw of him early, a little bit earlier in the weekend, Cam Williams is a smooth operator, man. He is. I, I saw him last year at Irish Invasion, and uh, that was the immediate. Whoa, who is that? When you see that guy from thirty yards away, get a little closer and realize, oh, it had to be Cam Williams, and Johnson was. He was just a heck of a raw athlete last year at Irish Invasion. He's one of those guys that stood out. You didn't know it was, I think I saw him working a little bit of wide receiver, not only wide receiver and corner, but he was in the final 40 yard sprints too, like in the top three of the 40 yard sprints. You're just like, yeah, that guy just stuck out or showed up every time you looked at him in that camp. And that's when Tom put that crystal ball out last week, I thought to myself, holy cow, I never saw, I never thought I'd hear that name again. So that that's some good work by the staff if they could pull it off. Yeah, we really haven't we haven't seen him at safety. You know, you, no, like you no. said, the video we saw of him was at corner, and, and and just the 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 one caution I would throw out there, and it's the same with Antonio Carter the second in that great athlete, great player, and as you've noted Tim before in talking to players that have transitioned from corner right safety, it's a completely different animal. So there's an adjustment there. But if Notre Dame is fortunate enough to land. Bronte Johnson, we know he's a, a hell of an athlete with length, could play receiver. I think some other schools are recruiting him as a receiver, but as we know, Notre Dame has had to focus strongly on uh, the safety position, and they like him there, and we'll see what, what happens. And their success at receiver of late means he's he should start in the defensive backfield. I mean, I know that not every guy is going to hit out of the 23 and 24 class. Like Chauncey Stuckey said, we have three hits. He's going to think he has three hits again. He probably does, but I mean, are all six guys going to hit? Probably not, but boy, five of the six should. Have you liked trio receiver classes back-to-back as much as 23 and 24 in a long time at Notre Dame? No, this is... I, no I would agree with you, Tim. And, and in talking about receivers, I mentioned Cam Williams, but Micah Gilbert was also in town this weekend, as was, yeah, I'm going to shift my attention here to some of the 2025 guys that were offered scholarships. Um, I know people were raving. Tom Loy was raving about Derek Meadows. Six five, six six, ran a four point five from Bishop Gorman. Um, you know, that's an exciting prospect. I'd like to see him in person. Um, you know, some of the other 2025 guys that were offered scholarships, Maddie Augustine, um, an offensive lineman. Gus Ritchie is a defensive end. He was listed as one of the top performers with Derek Meadows and also offensive tackle. Will, Will Black was, was offered 2025 guy again. So for all of this stuff, and again, Tom Loy's work this weekend. And then uh, uh, of course, Kevin Sinclair following up uh, from, from his station as well. I, I think our coverage 
of Irish invasion was about as good as it gets this past weekend. So you can read all about that on uh, on irishillustrated.com. Uh, when we had our podcast last week, Sean Sevillano, I've been say, saying Sevillano, right. but apparently it's Sevillano, Sean Sevillano Jr. Per who, him too, so we have to believe him, I would say. Yes, right? yes, yep. yes. <laughs> yeah, since our last podcast, he actually follows, or we expected him to to commit to Notre Dame, but since our last, our last podcast, he uh, actually did commit to Notre Dame. I love the way he's trending. Um, you know, again, I think that this is a kid that I hated his early film that I saw, but I think it's a kid. You know, he's, he's a lot to, I mean, I'm being honest, right? No, yeah. But you've clear you've got, you've gone back since and, yeah. and liked newer film. Oh yeah, absolutely. And I think, again, I'll say it. I think I said it last week. I think, you know, this is the proverbial, the lights turned on for him. And I think that he realizes what his potential is, how good he can be. Mm-hmm. He's got to keep his weight in check but it looks like he's definitely trending in that direction and with or without the weight, his good film shows exceptional quickness off the snap of the football. I think his ceiling, this is one of those guys whose ceiling is way, way higher than the original film that I saw. And I think you make a good point about keeping his weight in check because he also has a full year to learn how to do that. It is so interesting when we talk to athletes, they just, don't know how to eat because they don't have to. They're 17 years old. And yeah, I mean, Christian Gray looks like a pro corner when he walks into a room and he talks about all he used to eat is airheads all the time. So these guys get stronger or they get leaner. And Sevillano, I'm going to keep saying Sevillano too, accidentally. Yeah, here. Yeah. yeah, he does not. He, he's not coming in immediately and hitting the ground running and starting for Notre Dame. That's that's the good thing. So he will have a full year to exactly shape his body and then i think when you're in that college program i mean then it's up to him but then you're figuring about 75 percent of the time they learned it and they that's when all of a sudden they realize you said he now sees how good he can be wait till he sees how good he can be with college strength training yeah no there's uh yeah i don't think there's any doubt that he is he's he's trending in the right direction yeah and so that's positive so there's been there's been some good news on the really good news on recruiting front, as there usually is coming out of coming out of Irish because, invasion. Yeah. Uh, but um, shifting gears a little bit before we go on to segment two, I had I had reason to contact uh, former Nordame, two-time Nordame assistant, five years under Charlie Weiss and five years under Brian Kelly, uh, and that's Brian Polian who. Who was at LSU last year? He transitioned into a general manager's role uh, at LSU, and then, uh, unbeknownst, actually, when I contacted him, I don't know if you. Oh yeah, John Carroll. Yeah, I did. I yeah. <laughs> here I'm talking to Brian Brian Floyd, and I don't even know that he's now the AD at his his uh, alma mater in Cleveland or the Cleveland area, John Carroll University. But you know, we were talking, and I, I, you know, I don't. I mean, I don't know that we necessarily knew what direction the conversation was going to go, but we started we started talking about uh, uh, facilities, mm-hmm. and uh, here's here's his quote, Tim. Uh, I knew we were outgrowing the Goog, but I didn't necessarily know what the competition was. Then I went down to LSU, and I was like, okay, this is what it's supposed to be like. He went on to say the facility stuff is real. The football stuff staff has outgrown the Goog. We outgrew the Goog. We didn't have enough meeting space for the players. We didn't have enough office space for the staff. 
We didn't have training table when I was there with Charlie. These poor guys were running off the field trying to make it to South Dining Hall before they close it on them. Now, Tim, there's still this perception out there, and I had to clarify on Twitter some of the ridiculous comments that were being made about Notre Dame not having a training table. That's incorrect. The Notre Dame football players, and again, I can speak from knowledge of the process, they're not lacking nutrition. That is, they are not lacking access to nutrition. What Polian is talking about is the clunky way that they have to conduct business yeah. when recruits, when not, not just recruits, when players convene to eat in the Goog. It's outdated. It needs to be changed. It needs to be updated. Another contrary to popular belief, Jack Swarbrick doesn't just snap his fingers and that's taken care of. There are other people making decisions as to when those things begin. So I'm not trying to, I'm, it's not that I'm, <laughs> somebody put a, a, a cartoon out there. I think it was from the Simpsons of me jumping in front of a bullet intended for Jack Swarbrick. <laughs> <laughs> but when they put out when they put out the letter following the loss of the offensive coordinator from Utah, we were extremely critical of the way that was happened. But I, I don't. I, I don't, pulled over in my car. I wonder if I had my laptop because I was. Yeah, I mean, I just, but I'm not going to deal in the. Uh, I'm not going to work from the emotion of fans who love to blame and accuse. And when I think Jack Swarbrick in Notre Dame does wrong, we say it. When I think that he's wrongly accused. I'm going to say that as well. If you choose to say Priester doesn't know what the hell he's talking about, then that's fine. But I'm not just going to allow shots to be taken at Swarbrick or anybody else at Notre Dame if I feel that it's misguided or unfair. I, I do think circling back, it's important to note when Polian said we didn't have a training table under Weiss, that, that was a big deal. That that was a huge deal. That, I don't think that was an exaggeration because I know I interviewed Jack Hinn must have been Kelly's second year. I don't think we, he maybe would have gone there in his first year. Talking about the 2009 team when they lost their final four games, and that was basically it for Charlie Weiss. He said that the average weight loss for the linemen, and I wish I had the quote in front of me. I'm just trying to remember. It was yeah. something like during the year in the 12 to 20 pound range, which is just insane if you think about it. And remember all the stories we used to write about November pain, how bad Notre Dame was in November, and it all changed under Brian Kelly. So, I mean, Weiss was kind of instrumental in making sure that they got that right. I'm not missing that. But yeah, Charlie no, Weiss, like, yeah. this has I've to had, happen. Yeah, no doubt. I've had but it's been a decade. It's They've had it for more than 11 yeah. years, to your that, point. That That's, was that was, that was a, a real problem. Access to nutrition is not – No, no. That's not an issue at Notre Dame. How, it, how the operation functions is, and that's the next step, and they're behind, and it needs to be done – and you can blame a lot of people, but it's not because Jack Swarbrick doesn't want it to happen. That That's right, my own right, point. Right. Yeah, and I thought Polian's point about Notre Dame kind of saying, I, I still feel like he was jumping back to a different era than Brian Kelly's when he was saying, if it's good enough for Lou, it's good enough for you guys. I yeah, felt like he was maybe bouncing between eras, eras in that. I, I don't think that was a thing for Brian Kelly when Brian Polian came back. Do you? I no, think and I don't think I don't, I don't think he was saying that he was yeah, yeah. he was making a demar, mar, demarcation between the two. I you know I I saw that they used uh, Pullian's quote about it, it. It you know it may have been good enough for Lou, but it's not good enough you know for now. And then the Holtz Foundation 
I'm not really sure who handles all that. Uh, use that quote and, you know, put out a tweet, which I thought was kind of a shot at, at Brian Pullian. And, and there was no way that Pullian was taking a shot. At Holtz. No, at no, no, Holtz. no, no. He's no. taking it. It wasn't a shot. It's that, I mean, times change. Everyone can understand Lou Holtz would be Notre yeah. Dame's best coach of the last 50 or since Eric Parsegian the last 50 years, but times change and you can't do everything exact same. Right. That was, that was Pullian's point. And then the Holtz Foundation Twitter account followed up you know, by saying that there are other factors involved. And that's true. It's that the bigger factor is that teams in the SEC are spending hundreds of thousands of dollars in in acquisition fees, talent acquisition, which, you know, I mean, I, Notre Dame's not going to keep up with that. I, I realize that, that a lot of people think that Notre Dame should, should match dollar for dollar with the SEC. If you're waiting for that to happen, I don't think that's ever going to happen. I I don't No, I, but I think I mean this this year they've they have a really good quarterback. No, they do, but but they're not but they're going to do it selectively, not yes, not not, not across, across the board. Across the board, yes, exactly. And if that's if that's wrong, if that if that ultimately causes Notre Dame not to be a national power. For instance, their backup running back. Perhaps. Yeah, they lost their backup running yeah. back to LSU, who I'm sure they paid. They paid. And there are other. We've talked money. about all the other reasons there, but it's not like he decided to forfeit all of his NIL winnings at Notre Dame and decide to go to LSU for free just so he could be home. There are limitations with Notre Dame. I, 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 I realize that that's frustrating for a lot of people, especially younger generation of Notre Dame fans that don't have the history to fall back on on how Notre Dame. Uh, used to play the game, but hey, I readily admit that's in the past too, and you have to adjust. I just don't think that Nordim's going to adjust to the extent that the SEC does. I'm not sure. I'm not sure what what conference will adjust to the the financial degree that the SEC will or has. Is well, there it, won't be one because Texas and Oklahoma are joining it, so those that would be the people. Yeah, that would be the people joining the uh, the fray as opposed to trying to fight against it. Yeah. Hey, long first segment. I just want to throw this in here right now. And this is, this should be uh, journalism 101. And I violated it, but I knew people were excited about me having an interview with Jack Swarbrick on Friday. It has been postponed. It's been pushed back. We expect to get that interview next week, but I just wanted, I know people would be asking, Hey, where's the interview? Um, Friday isn't going to work. And so we had to, we're still in the process of, <clears throat> of restructuring that. And getting that taken care of uh, early next week, but I don't want to promise that either because uh, schedules are schedules. Getting it taken care of is yeah, just the way to say our, it. No timeline. All of our, there's a lot of schedules uh, conflicting with one another, and uh, that's what happened uh, this Friday. Sorry, we'll give it a shot next week. We'll give uh, a shot to our readers in segment two coming up, burning up the boards. Segment two, burning up the boards, our first question and our second question has to do with the training table topic. This one from Surgeons Not. Never understood the training table point. As a student at Notre Dame from 14 to 18, I catered for football meals during the summer and the year in the Goog. They ate like kings with steak, fish, crab, etc. Maybe it doesn't compare with other programs, but it was definitely above what normal students got. And then the second part of the question, or the second question from Murphy324, I doubt players turn down Notre Dame because of the food. They pass on Notre Dame because, one, they want to be closer to mom or girlfriend. Two, they believe they have a better path to the NFL elsewhere. Three, they aren't comfortable with Notre Dame's academic bent. Or four, SEC cash 
in McDonald's bag. It's all part. We I bunched these together, and we kind of addressed it in the in the first segment, Tim. I and, and I've said this before: Notre Dame football dictates what they eat. Yeah, Notre but I, I will push back on the first part of. Um... Maybe it doesn't compare with other programs, but it was definitely above what normal students get. It has to be above what normal students get. Oh, that, that is not a I, no. That I is think, not an argument. That is the old Holtz argument. Yeah, we no, all I eat together. Sergio we all live together. Not understands yeah. that that's that's that that's the case, of course. But it, it they're, they're not. It's they're not walking away saying, "Man, I I didn't have enough eat. I didn't have enough." First of all, here I mean, this is another thing that, like this perception that all football players are, you know, they're all about nutrition and all about eating the right things all the time. They're still, they're still young people. They're still, yeah, kids we have a, hopefully Irish illustrated has an interview coming to that end um, in the very near future where we are discussing that with, with the woman in charge of the nutrition at Notre Dame. And it's a relatively, it is a relatively new position. So that could go back to, if people want to complain about this in 2019, and maybe it was more of a complaint, but yeah. There is a serious teaching the kids how to eat and how to fend for themselves, how to make the right choices. It is, it is a, I mean, it's a major role right now at the football program. And I say that because the players keep offering it. They keep bringing it up. Notre Dame's players from freshman to senior keep bringing right. it up. And I think one of the first guys to talk about it was J.D. Bertrand, where we found out his, I know you want to talk about someone that only eats in terms of preparing himself for football. Everything he does, he's one of the guys where everything he puts into his body is specifically right. for his football right. job. But to your point, that was not been the case. Like Tariq Bracey took years to learn how to eat, he said. Yeah. yeah. So, it, and, 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 you know, access to that and these people that, that can instruct them is it's there. It's, it's how the food, food is served. And that has to be taken care of. Yes. I don't know. You know, we had a question about, well, when do you think they'll announce? I'm not going to speculate about that anymore because. I don't know. And I don't know that Notre Dame knows on that, but um, you know, that situation needs to be clarified. I, I, I don't, you know, I said this to Pullian. I mean, I don't, you, you know, kids aren't coming in while they're being recruited and questioning how they're eating or what they're eating. They're 17 years old. That I mean, seems I, so I, weird to me when he mentioned it was part of it. I just thought that was, I think there can be aspects of Notre Dame's, the Goog and the Irish athletics complex that we shouldn't include that because it's much different than the Goog where if you have gone to LSU and Alabama and Ohio state, and then you walk into Notre Dame, you're like, huh, I expected more from this, but I don't think it has anything to do with nutrition. I don't think they thought the food looked better somewhere else. I think it is on the list of reasons people might not choose Notre Dame. It's very low on the list. I think one is probably right now, the combination of what Murphy three, two, four has and number two and three. They believe they have a better path to the NFL elsewhere and that they aren't comfortable with Andy's academic bent. I think that's number one as a combined entity because it's that, that makes sense. That's your future. And the 89, 90% of you are delusional because your NFL path is not going to exist very soon, but that's okay. No one knows that when they're 17 closer to home, mom, girlfriend has always been part of it and it always will be. Um, you go back to the national championship team when Arnold Ali is moving back to UCLA after starting because he wanted to be, he wanted to be home. It's as a freshman. That's just the way it works. Cash in the bag will always be part of it, uh, especially in terms of the recruiting freshmen. And then I think facility, looking at the facilities and perception of, as Brian Polian said, wow, this is what it's supposed to look like at LSU. I'm sure there's plenty of 17-year-olds that think that. 
Notre Dame has to eradicate that eventually. And I think that's why our subscribers are mad because they think eventually should have been three years ago when the Irish athletics complex was being built. Um, and I recall your conversation with Jack Swarbrick about how that kind of had to get up, had to be up. Um, and then they could move on from there. I think to side with complaints, I would have thought they would have augmented the whole situation since then. And that'll be a great question for, for Swarbrick is why it wasn't. Cause that remember he said it had to, this, this had to get up this, this, we had to have this thing built. Yeah. And, oh, yeah, viable. No and the Irish athletics complex is, is a really, really nice facility. But again, yeah. it's like, it's like landing top recruits. What's the next thing? Okay, great. Thanks. What's the, what's the next thing? And I get that. And I, I don't disagree at all, Tim. Uh, they needed to make a move on the Goog well before now, and they haven't done it. Again, my only point is Jack Swarber can't snap his fingers and, and make that happen. He's just part of the process. He can push for it or, or we'll hear, I don't understand why he doesn't push for it more. How in the world do you know how much? Uh, and then I, then it was like, oh, well, then he should publicly call those people out. You're going to, I mean, that's not the way teams function. You can't, you can't do that. That's not, that's, you're going to embarrass the board. You're going to embarrass the administration to get what you want. Let's, let's be real about this. That's not how, that's not how you handle these things. It, it, it's a problem. It needs to be taken care of. I'd like to talk more about football than stuff like this, you know, sure. but we end up spending more time talking about this and I get it. I get it. Notre Dame needs to do it. Well, Paul, having an ex coach, we interviewed it. You interviewed an ex coach and he talked about it. So that, Right. It is a, it is a newly timely topic that wasn't timely. Right. And I thought it was really important that I yeah. wrote that story then because I've kind of downplayed that. And so, you know, I wasn't on the mark with that when a former coach brings it to light. You know what I find interesting is everybody uh, jumped on that story with you and Brian Polian regarding Notre Dame's training table and nutrition. But 13 years ago, 14 years ago, when he said Stanford – and Notre Dame don't even remotely compare in terms of how hard it is to get a football player in. Everybody said pulling was crazy. Yeah. <laughs> was he lying once and totally honest the other time? Yeah, no, exactly. All right, moving on to uh, uh, Go Irish 82. When does going to the transfer portal for a quarterback negatively impact recruiting? I think that's a good question. Tim. I do too. It probably does at some point, and it doesn't matter because you have to get a better quarterback in all the time. It can. I'm sorry. You have to. You have to keep recruiting over your quarterbacks. The problem with placating a quarterback or coddling a quarterback in recruiting is they always. And I do not mean during the NIL era. They always leave. Fifty yeah. years of quarterback competition. Somebody leaves. So there's there should always be. Brutal competition where the guy that comes in behind CJ Carr is better than CJ Carr, or so we think. And CJ Carr has to prove that he's not. So yeah. you should always have a problem recruiting quarterbacks if they're worried about winning a job because you have to over recruit your quarterbacks. They always leave, they want to play. If the next Sam Hartman is available next year, you get that guy, and either Minchie or Steve Angeli transfers. That is. Exactly how you should run your Notre Dame football program right now in the NIL era. You have another choice. Now you now do you worry 
two years later when CJ Carr is supposed to be your starter coming in? You better have a really good quarterback, right? You you better have. But if you keep getting the next Sam Hartman, is that ever a bad thing? As long as he's a good fit in your locker room. No, but I understand where Go Irish eighty two is coming oh, yeah. from. I think he's asking it in relation to the Minchie Carr combination. Like at what at at what point? Like at what point do you hurt your opportunity? For one of those guys to develop early, well, and emerge early, you know, I can see them getting a portal quarterback next year. Yeah, that's year been part of my that. If Minchie and Carr are still here, you've, I think you, I mean, oh, no, I, I agree at with some you. point. I, you have to trust your quarterback recruiting. I agree, but it, there's no reason to turn down a guy that can bring you from top 18 to top five either. I would agree, but to, I, I'm not sure the Nordame is always going to pull in a quarterback of Sam Hartman's abilities and magnitude uh, on a yearly basis. No, it's difficult because there's that fine line of, here we go back to graduate transfer versus transfer. The quarterback that is a great college quarterback, say Russell Wilson back in the day, Sam Hartman, that cannot go pro right away. That is not a huge window of players that can start at Notre Dame over second year, CJ Carr, second year, Kenny Minchie, something along those lines. Hey, did you see, I think Jack Cohn's getting an opportunity with the 49ers. I saw that. Yeah. (laughs) He's going to be the slowest one of the four. That's for sure. (laughs) He will be, but he can throw it. I mean, he, he, you know, he's, he is a pro style quarterback and, and uh, I, I I mean, I guess I'm kind of pulling for him to, to hang, to, to find, to land a spot and hang around the NFL a little bit. Oh, he's yeah. He's possible not to root for that guy. He yeah, was, the one year that the one season that we spent with him was I mean a teammate, a great yeah, teammate to come in a and great teammate that everybody respected. And I just saw that this morning. I wanted to throw that out since you have some some 49. He was benched, he was benched multiple times in the first five games. Or yeah. or or made to sit for Tyler Buckner's uh unique abilities. And then he just kept coming back and winning games. And it never, I mean, it to our knowledge, it never really impacted yeah. him. He just, that's competition and that's that's the way you go about it. But interesting question from Go Irish 82. I understand your perspective, Tim. Uh, I know where the question's coming from because when you do recruit highly rated quarterbacks, you'd like to see them develop and be a three-year starter or at least. Yeah, a I just think at some point nowadays, you you just keep recruiting over them. So if recruiting over them means a 22-year-old that will help your team more, I get it. But yeah, my my baseline is very high. For recruit for bringing the quarterback over Kenny Minchie and CJ Carr, it, it has to be the Sam Hartman level quarterback. What if you had? What if you had another Jack Cohn? Uh-huh. I don't think that would be high. Uh, it depends on what they think of Minchie. Jack Cohn, another Jack Cohn over redshirt freshman CJ Carr makes me want to go with redshirt freshman CJ Carr if he becomes what we think he will become. Got it. Question from Kaiser Wilhelm: With NBC now involved in broadcasting college football more than just Notre Dame home games. Are you concerned that NBC might try to compensate in the future by scheduling marginal Notre Dame November matchups at 7.30 p.m.? I never really thought about it in this way. That would be terrible. Uh, But Notre Dame doesn't want more than two night games on its six-game slate. I don't... I think Notre Dame would have a pushback against the Boston College senior day being at night. I mean, remember, Florida State was a bad team, but Notre Dame, Florida State, as scheduled at night, was not supposed to be 
a letdown game. That was that's a marquee yeah. matchup in terms of programs. So I don't I don't think they would do that. Uh, Clemson, However, let me Florida throw, State. Let me throw but, something in there. Nordame negotiates a contract with NBC to the level of payout that they're looking for. Does NBC then ask in return, hey, if we want to throw you in Boston College on November 10th at 7.30 at night, right? Yeah, I mean, the money you make there is different than the money you don't make from ticket sales, so. (laughs) Yeah, true. But it's, again, I think it's a good question by Kaiser Wilhelm that, and I hadn't really thought about it either, but. It's now on the list when we sit down with Jack Swarbrick, whenever that. <laughs> That's we should lead. We should lead with that. Do you think the 2026 Boston College game is going to be played at night in November? Because we have some concerned uh, parties here. There's... Yeah, I don't know. It is going to. I, I mean, we certainly know that uh, there is some pushback from the Big Ten, especially Michigan, Ohio State, yeah. Penn State, I believe, as far as playing night games. I get it. I mean, especially when you're on the road. Um, it's hard enough for the media, let alone, let alone the people that actually have to participate in the event that's happening on the field. So I get it. Good question. Uh, we will add that to the list of questions and see if we can get clarification. Next from Jack Mac 99 of Notre Dame's big three games this year, Ohio State, USC, Clemson. Which do you think Notre Dame has the best chance of winning? Which game are they most likely to lose? Personally, I feel they have the best chance of beating Ohio State and losing to USC. Um. It's a legitimate question, as is the one after this, and we're going to address them both. I, I, I my intention is for the uh, the thirteen. I can't believe I've been doing this thirteen years. Thirteenth annual first rate series to be to begin this week, uh, rating Notre Dame and its twelve opponents by by position. And so, my point being that I'll have a better idea of. <laughs> I know who's going to be number one, Tim. Games. Yeah, I you know I'm not really <laughs> prepared to say that I know everything I need to know about Ohio State, USC, and Clemson. Um, I, you know, in terms of quarterback play, Ohio State is is certainly be way behind USC and Clemson to a large extent. Uh, the Clemson game's on the road. Um, you know, I, I do know that in taking a peek at Clemson, they've got most of their team back. So this expectation of Clemson losing three times a year which we suddenly have now because of the last two years, I wouldn't, I would, I would caution people to not get used to that because they have most of their team back. I don't under, man, Devil Sweeney is really not interested in the transfer portal. It's. Yeah. And I, I, they'll be, they'll be coming up in our series I'm doing on the transfer portal. And it is going to be a, if you don't know about it already, it's a shock to your system. Anna Hickey just sent back her answers. It's quite a thing. Can you imagine what Clemson, Clemson fans are saying about, his lack of use of, of no. Oh my gosh. When imagine if the Notre answers are, that. people are familiar with the series. These answers are shocking. They have nothing to do with the Ohio state, NC state and Duke that just came in. You notice that Notre Dame is kind of commensurate with those guys in terms of bringing in, I don't know if anybody's read that or not, but Ohio state brought in yeah, seven yeah, or eight. Notre Dame has brought in seven that. or eight. It's Clemson's the outlier here. That's for sure. Well, and USC last year, obviously. I think if USC did what they did last year and it wasn't Caleb Williams, nobody would think it's a good idea to bring in 18 to 20 transfers. But when one of them is the Heisman Trophy winner that absolutely goes ballistic on everybody, it becomes a first-round draft pick at wide receiver. Well, to answer the question from Jack Mac 99, Tim, which of those three games do you think Notre Dame has the best chance of winning? 
I think uh, I have a feeling that they're going to beat Ohio State, but that's not what I'm basing this on. I I think they're going to beat. I will believe USC is the one they have the best chance of winning because I don't think they're as complete of a team as Ohio State and Clemson. The thing about the Ohio State game for me is I'm glad it's in September with a new quarterback for Ohio State. Um, I wouldn't feel this way if C.J. Stroud came back. I had great respect for C.J. Stroud, the player. Uh, it They have... I just think Ohio State's talent level is so much better than USC's other than a quarterback. Home game against USC at night, that crowd for Notre Dame. I think Notre Dame will beat USC. Um, I know I've I've talked to some other analysts and they think that Clemson is the most ripe for the picking. I don't love the spot of that game for Notre Dame. Um, I think the most likely loss is Clemson and a big part of it's on the road. A uh, big part of it is what happened last year. Dabo Sweeney um, is a it's a very good football coach, and he's going to have them ready after last year's loss. Uh, Ohio State's in the middle for me because they're so talented. I can't say that they're Notre Dame's got a good chance of beating them. I just that remember last year when I was like Notre Dame is definitely going to beat Clemson, and Pete yes. we we were all kind of going back and forth and everything. It's like they're gonna they're going to beat Clemson. I don't feel that way about Ohio State because I just thought Notre Dame was going to be better than Clemson, but I feel like Notre Dame has Ohio State in a good spot. And Clemson has Notre Dame in a good spot. So most likely loss Clemson most likely win for me is USC because you're basing too much of USC on that superhuman quarterback being superhuman. I, Tim, I, I pretty much look at it the same way. I, I, I mean, I think Clemson on the road at that time of the year is really dangerous, especially knowing what they have coming back, but club Nick will be better at that point during the year, much better at that, at that point. Uh, USC's defense still has to prove I was maybe not shocked, but a bit surprised that Riley brought his defensive coordinator back. Now they've addressed defense certainly more in the portal. I don't know that it's to a level of difference making. We mentioned Ohio State with, uh, you know, a a new quarterback, but I, I mean, I pretty much look at it the same way you do. I think if I had to rate them, as separate from likely, separate from playing think, Notre Dame or or playing Notre Dame. No, playing Notre Dame. Okay, playing, okay. playing Notre Dame. I I would I would say Notre Dame is more likely to beat USC because of USC's overall personnel, especially defense. I would say Ohio State next, knowing full well that they are always loaded with talent, but they have a new quarterback. Uh, they've they have to reshape their offensive line. Um. And and yet, you know, Ohio State in terms of overall talent is probably greater than than Clemson's. But again, Clemson, I I, I I'm copping out, but I'm just not. I haven't had a chance to study them. Yeah. That's what the summer is for for me with the first rate series is getting a you know much closer look, looking at numbers, looking at film of these people. But I, I look at it the same way you do, Tim. I would I would rank them in that order, which leads us to the next question, which I think prompts a different response, which is from onward to victory 80. And that is 1.5 wins versus Ohio state, USC and and Clemson over under what side are you guys laying your money on? I would lay a small amount of money either way, but I actually think I would go with over 1.5 wins. The issue is when people all love that is I would go with over 0.5 losses to Louisville, NC state and Duke. And if you really want to throw in Pitt, I'll add that too, because everybody says, well, Pitt's at home. That doesn't matter at all. 
Notre Dame's Notre Dame's fan base for the Pitt game versus the USC and the Ohio State game won't even resemble the same stadium, no matter what Notre Dame's record is. They could be undefeated going to the Pitt game. And it will still be sleepy as hell in there compared to the well, other the USC I, game. Tim, I, I agree. And I know that everybody was down on Brennan Armstrong last year at Virginia, but I'm not sure how many people are aware that he has a new offensive coordinator at NC State. And do you know who it is? Yeah, I always talk about this. It's right. It's yeah, I know you do. It's it's Robert and I who worked his magic with Brennan Armstrong at Virginia, went to Syracuse for a year. Armstrong was in a horrible situation last year. Yeah, and he played terribly. He did. I mean, that's why people yeah, no, are down yeah, on him. Yeah. yeah, I'm not taking the 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 onus off of him completely, but <laughs> he was with a first time head coach. I've heard not great things about the way Virginia was run and organized, and so I think NC State week three still kind of maybe the Ireland hangover after having played Tennessee State. Duke is probably of the group that you mentioned. And, and again, still looking at it here for, as June is starting, but I think Duke is probably the most complete team of those ones that you mentioned. Of and NC I like the kind of like the coach in Pittsburgh. Yes. And, and the coach came in and did a hell of a job the first time through, which I'm not sure that I knew that or expected that I'm happy for him. Because uh, I think he's just a ball coach, and who yeah. he is, is, you know, I just think that he's a a, a pretty down to earth, grounded guy. Mike Elko, of course, is who we're talking about. But uh, yeah, I agree. Zero point five on those other games, I I would take the over on that. You would too, right? That's yes. exactly what you said. Yep. yep. <laughs> As it relates to um, one point five on the big three, I wouldn't bet that. I don't think that's a smart bet to make. Mm. But if I had to make it, oh, I would definitely pass on the bet. That's for yeah, sure. I would, yeah. But if I had to make that bet, I, I think I would say over 1.5, but I'd put a nickel on it. How about that? Yes. Yeah, not, not the cool nickel either. You're an actual nickel. Yes. Yeah. 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 <laughs> From insane ND Tucson, Sam Hartman ran the slow mesh at Wake Forest with a lot of downfield shots. Are we expecting a high dose of RPO? He's a serviceable scrambler, but not the level of Ian Book. Can he pick up third and seven with his legs? Uh, good questions from Insane Indy Tucson. Um, yeah, the slow mesh, the downfield shots, uh, high dose of RPO, absolutely. Right. Serviceable scrambler, I think probably better than that. Certainly not Ian Book. He was brilliant. Uh, but at least a serviceable scrambler. Can he pick up third and seven? Absolutely. He rushed for 364 yards in 2021 and 11 touchdowns. I know a lot of those are short of the shorter version, but he did rush for 856 yards over five years, which includes sacks. Yeah, which includes sacks and never should. So obviously, by the way. Yeah. So obviously, you know, he's capable of, of running the football. I think certainly not to the level of Ian Book, but I think if the question is, can he pick up third and seven with his legs? Absolutely. Yeah. Yes to all these. I, I, I think he's underrated here in the third and seven situation. Sam Hartman will be. He's a plenty nifty and smart scrambler. You have to use the word nifty, right? If he's not ex- incredibly fast or elusive. So I think he's a uh, Ian Book was a Ian Book. If Ian Book didn't scramble like that, he wouldn't have started at Notre Dame. So that's that's not even a thing. Yeah, I use I use the word resourceful. I, there I you go. That's good. A resourceful. <laughs> just don't uh, use Jim. Just don't use Jim Rat. Then you're fine. Um, 
<laughs> yeah, no, these are all yeses for me and the heavy dose. Of, I, I cannot wait to watch the RPO offense. And downfield, yeah, and the, you know, in the downfield throwing and, and I'm, you know, I, we have a tendency to tie questions and I'm going to go ahead and bring Jay Ricks 68 in with this one. And that is the athletic sided Sam Hartman's 26 interceptions the last two seasons when listing him in a fourth tier of quarterbacks across the country. Do you predict interceptions will be a major problem that follows him or hurts Notre Dame in 2023? Or was it more a result of playing in Wake Forest system? I don't think it'll be a major problem. I think he'll throw more than Notre Dame fans are used to um, from their quarterbacks of the last five years, Ian Book and Drew Pine. Um, not not including Tyler Buckner per pass. He will throw far fewer interceptions than Tyler Buckner per pass and also will not lose as many points on those throws. But I, yeah, I think he's going to hit that 10 interception range because he takes downfield shots. And when it's third and seven from the 43 and you take a, 47-yard pass downfield to Tobias Merriweather. If it's picked off, it's picked off. Those interceptions are fine. It's the end zone interceptions or the back-to-your-own-end-zone interceptions that matter. The numbers of interceptions are just not as important as where they happen. Now, in the modern era, we can all say you should not throw 10 interceptions. That's probably true, too. I just think the way Notre Dame attacks, he will throw 10 interceptions. Those are all great points, Tim, as usual. Uh, You know, I think we need to, as we go through the season, I think we need to evaluate, okay, he has six interceptions, four hurt, two of them were of the variety that that you just said. I I believe the number is he has averaged an interception every 38 throws. So that's, that's, you know, that's every, that's every game-ish. Yeah, that's at least 10, right? Um, Compared to, not that it matters now, but Tyler Buckner at every 13.7, I think it was, or or 14, not, not a good number. You know, one thing that I think could, could limit the interceptions. And I do think it'll be high single digits, if not 10, uh, is that Notre Dame will have a strong running game. And, and when you can, when you can lean on that, you don't have to throw as many risky passes. Now he's a confident guy. And I think a lot of what the 26 interceptions in the last two years is about is him having confidence that I can make this throw, number one. Number two, playing with a Wake Forest defense that was awful and knowing that you had to score. Now, I did – I did. I don't know if you were around. I did ask Sam Hartman that question. Yeah, the he, first time you saw him, right? First time you saw him. Yeah, and he, yeah. he debunked it immediately. Now, I don't know if that was because he thought it was a stupid question or if he was just defending Wake Forest or what happened. I think he was defending Wake Forest. Probably. Um, which probably, but he did make a lot of downfield throws. He will make a lot of downfield throws. I don't think as many as he did at Wake Forest again, because Wake Forest probably found themselves in third and long a lot more than Notre Dame will this fall. Yes. And also I would strongly encourage people to consider pace of play for Wake Forest. I think they were top 10 last year in terms of snaps, offensive snaps in a game. They moved a lot faster Notre Dame won't be this slow, but I know Notre Dame was about number 90, 89, 90, 88. They're they're, not going to be like that. They're going to be more like middle of the pack, I would say. Right, but Wake Forest had to go. Wake Forest went fast. It it was like watching Oklahoma. Remember how fast Oklahoma goes fast. Oklahoma State goes fast. That's how Wake Forest went with Sam Hartman. There'll be fewer pass plays necessary. He'll be trailing fewer games. They'll have game control that Wake Forest didn't have. 
So maybe 10 is too much. Maybe 10 is the absolute high that he should throw considering he's coming to Notre Dame's offense and what they have defensively. Which leads me to, you know, I'm going to mention this in Thursday thoughts. When you look at Tim, I know you picked up the Athlon magazine. Um, you see my feature on Joe Alt? That, that I was did. A- Lindy, Lindy's. Yeah. Lindy's is out now. That's the one with Joe Alt's yeah. the cover. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. That, that was Lindy's right. Yeah. Um, I get them mixed up anyway. If you look at, you know, and this is the time of year where you start looking at, okay, who are the top offensive tackles? Who are the top defensive ends? And Notre Dame has one player on those defensive position lists. Yeah. That's Benjamin Morrison. Now on offense, you've got Estime, you've got Hartman, you have all, you have Fisher. <coughs> I, you know, maybe Actually, Carell, Carell has made, made the Lindy's list too. I saw, I, yeah. Yes. I saw that. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I, it just makes, I'm just concerned how good Notre Dame's defense is, but we know it will be much better than Wake Forest. And I, in, in the second time through with Al Golden, I think yeah. will make a significant difference. Definitely, definitely in a red zone. There will not be a repeat of what happened. Well, there, can, there can't be, or that's it. You can't, you can't do that. That's not a, <laughs> it just means you have a bad plan. That's impossible. Yeah. yeah. Just wanted to bring that up though, yeah. because you know, it's not a, at least at this point, it's not a star studded defense. I expect improvement, but how much remains to be seen. And that will determine the 1.5 wins against Ohio state. Oh, right. That's, it won't determine zero. the interceptions as much as the 1.5 right. wins. That's and for sure. 0.5 against the four ACC teams that, that you mentioned. We've had good questions here today. I appreciate it from our readers and others that, that didn't make the list. Of course, we have a question from, Michael Mosher seven, what wide receiver needs to have a big year for the offense to be dangerous? I think Tobias Merriweather, Tobias Merriweather, Tobias <laughs> Merriweather. That's the one that's, that is the answer here. Cause Jaden Thomas will be solid. Yeah. And Jaden Thomas won't average the yards per reception right. that Tobias Merriweather can. Some people may say Deion Colsey. I, I think Deion Colsey can ultimately be a productive college football player. It's a matter of how consistent. It's a matter of not disappearing for long stretches, but Tobias Merriweather's skill set and his ceiling, I think, is the highest. And I, I think that's an that's an easy choice for you and me and most most of us that follow Notre Dame football. I think he absolutely has to be the breakout receiver, or you will be over on the one point five, and you'll be over on the zero point five together. You need a guy like Merriweather in this. Yeah, offense. and having he, Sam he Hartman. He can make other players better, Merriweather, if he plays like what he can play. Well, I think he and, of course, Sam Hartman yes. can make Deion Colsey better, too. Yeah. But I think Merriweather- Colsey just, I, I, did you get, you get the feeling I did, right, when we were leaving the Chancey Stuckey interview. Colsey needed to step it up from what he had seen that spring. Yeah. and Not that know, he's far away. He was light years away last year when we left spring. No, but that's, that's I mean, that's, you know, that's been Colsey's MO. Yeah. You know, he, he had a streak where, he was incredible on third down for about a month uh, last season. Yeah, he was. That was incredible. I mean, just, you what know, a I run. Mean, really, really, yeah. really clutch for them uh, on on third down. But, you know, with the combination of, yeah, Merriweather will get other people open. Merriweather can help get a tight end open, not named Michael Mayer. You know, right. I mean, all those things go hand in hand and play off one another. So a uh, good question. Easy answer, though, for us, I think. And most Nordic fans that Tobias Merriweather has has the highest upside of, of all Nordic players. We're going to wrap up 
with a question about basketball from Jay Marasco. Will there, will there be any additional offers added to the basketball roster? If not, what are your initial impressions beyond being young of the 23-24 season? How do you compare it athletically to past Notre Dame teams? I think that second part is a good I do too. And they are, I think they're athletically superior to Notre Dame teams since the five freshmen came in in the post Colsey Farrell era. So, the last five years, I think they're more athletic. Uh, it's not the Blake Wesley year was a little different. Blake Wesley and Cormac Ryan together was, I mean, it's pretty athletic backcourt. So, you could, if you take out that year or you want to compare it to that year, that's fine. I, I think Notre Dame's wings are more athletic now than they've yeah, been. You know, and you had JJ Starling too. I mean, it's not like, and you know, I, I didn't feel like he was a totally special athlete the way he played, like Blake Wesley, though. Not like Wesley. Wesley. Yeah. Wesley. I mean, when I when I saw Wesley, the closest thing for me in being an old timer. It wasn't Jaron Grant, and I know they're different kind of players. It was Orlando Woolridge. I mean, just flat out athleticism. Yeah. Orlando Woolridge was for me the closest, or Wesley was the closest to him. Jaron Grant, you know, of course, was spectacular as well, but not to the extent of Wesley, just flat out pure athleticism. And Woolridge, again, different kind of athlete, but he could jump out of the gym. Right, so. right. I think um, when you're looking at the roster, obviously very young, you got to roll with the youth because, I mean, Matt Zona, I think, proved he belongs on the team and should have earned five minutes per half last year, the way he played at the end of the season. Once again, they were not taking out Scottie Pippen. They could have taken out whoever they had in that lineup for Matt Zona and given him a chance. Um, the funny thing is, like, I would, if you're doing the over-under, over-under ACC wins compared to last year, you're taking the over, aren't you? How many did they end up with? Three, three. three? Yeah, let's come on. I mean, we just gotta, just we by, gotta cut this segment if it's if it's I mean, not just, four. Just by chance, but yeah. when you look at the roster, <laughs> yeah, it's you know it's athletic. There's there right now there are ten scholarship players, and they are the returning players: Zona, Sanders, and Konesny, uh, the Notre Dame recruit Burton, the three Penn State recruits Shrewsbury, Imes, and Booth. The Penn State transfer coming wish Shrewsbury the elder in Jai. And then the um uh Tay Davis, uh, the Seton Hall transfer and and Roper, the the Northwestern transfer. That's only 10. There's still three scholarships. You have got to get you you do you have to get somebody with some some scoring background on the collegiate level. I agree. I mean, this would be the year to bring in Marcus Hammond when it was weird last year that they brought in Marcus Hammond because he was a scorer, a gunner, and not a great defensive player, and they already had a bunch of guards that could not develop their own shots. Uh, I mean, I yeah, I you need to keep searching. I mean, they are. They will still be searching. you got to be able to... You, you could sell so much playing time, too. You could still sell playing time. That's why it. That's why it's plausible for me at this late stage. You could still sell plenty of playing time. Yeah, yeah, no doubt, but Man, this is going to be tough. This is going to be a transition. I think we went from, I went from, oh my God, the roster is going to be awful. And then when Shrewsbury came in, it became clear to us that the three Penn State commitment signees were going to come to Notre Dame. Yeah. Then we knew about Jai, he's going to come to Notre Dame. It's like, and that all happened fairly quickly. But now I think we're back into 
at least for me, I've, how I felt about originally who, I mean, uh, you know, of course these guys are going to score people that scoring averages are going to go up for some of these guys, but you'd like to <laughs> I like, go. I like how you said they're going to win by chance. <laughs> it's just well, they randomly won a few extra games because the ball went the right way. <laughs> I'm not, as we look at the roster right now, I mean, who are they going to, who are they going to be more talented than I, I don't, I, I basketball talent, not just athleticism, but basketball talent. You'd like to have a couple guys that average double digits at, at Davidson or wherever somewhere last year. And they don't have that, right? They do not have a guy on among those 10 that averages as many as five points a game in college. Yeah, no, that's a thing. <laughs> okay. Well, I, mean, I'm gonna, I, I talked about journalism 101. I am, I believe I'm going to have an interview with Micah Shrewsbury on Wednesday, June 7th. We'll see if I can uh, be, see if I'm 0 for 2 in, uh, in, in calling these, these interviews that are set up, but I think uh, they can get Grant Nelson out of North Dakota state when his final four is uh, Alabama, Baylor, Florida state and Iowa. I'm going to say it's going to be hard to bridge that gap. Boy, he would help immediately. Yeah. And Alabama has, a whole bunch of people to uh, replace, and they're a lot hotter team to consider right now than Notre Dame. Well, Baylor too. Season. I mean, Baylor and yeah, yeah, Baylor. Good lord, yeah. So we'll see. I mean, he's not done. Uh, I hope keep our fingers crossed. I get an opportunity. Uh, Irish Illustrated's first opportunity to have a one-on-one uh, with the, with the new basketball coach, and and um, we'll see what happens with that. And hopefully, we'll have a lot more answers. Not maybe not necessarily who will uh, end up filling out the rest of the roster, but uh, looking forward to an opportunity seeing down with Michael Shrewsbury, who by all accounts is a, is a guy that Notre Dame fans will want to cheer for, especially if he can exceed last year's three conference wins, right? <laughs> Just by, by happenstance when they go out there, they happen to, they happen to win. <laughs> yeah. Well, we appreciate you joining us for a Tuesday edition. I, we will be going back to a Monday edition of uh, Irish Illustrated Insider next week. Monday, June 12th. Thanks for joining us, everybody. We appreciate the questions. Keep them coming. Until then, this has been Irish Illustrated Insider. Here's another Irish tale presented by Do Dublin Tours. Visit dodublin.ie to book your tour today. There was a period of time in the 19th century in Ireland known as the Golden Era. At its peak, Irish whisky accounted for 60% of the whisky sold all over the world. Irish whisky sales sadly declined for a number of reasons. The introduction of mass production in other countries, using more advanced technologies that the Irish were reluctant to use, along with the War of Independence and Prohibition in the US. The Irish were reluctant to speed up the process, opting for quality over quantity. As a result, the last distillery in Dublin closed in 1976. If you'd like to know more, do Dublin with Do Dublin Tours.